0: Hello, everybody. Welcome to the Wolverine 24-7 podcast, your audio source for all things Michigan football, basketball, and recruiting. I'm your host, Zach Shaw. Steve Lorenz here with me. Lots of stories over at the MichiganInsider.com, Michigan.247Sports.com, talking about last night's Sweet 16 win by the Michigan Wolverines. They move on to the Elite Eight for the fourth time in the last eight seasons. This will probably, because there's another game in a day, this will probably be one of the one of our quicker podcasts, but but lots of people are talking about this game. Lots of people are asking uh, Steve and myself questions. So I figured we'd we'd uh, kind of get a jump on the reaction part and and then look ahead to UCLA and maybe a slight peek at, at the potential final four matchups as well. But Steve, Michigan won uh, 76 to 58. It it's one. Of, it, it looks a lot like a lot of their Big Ten wins where. It was kind of tight-ish, but Michigan always seemed to have the edge. And then the second half, they put their foot on the gas a little bit. They found some offensive footing. Probably could have won if they needed to win by thirty. They probably could have won by thirty. It was one of those kind of games. Lots of things impressed me, Steve. I mean, I, I thought the the coaching, the game prep, the use of the backdoor cuts on Florida State, the use of the baseline—something uh, that the LSU actually took away, but but Florida State did not. And then obviously the defense was, I mean, almost a flawless first half. I think they allowed 22 points on 32 possessions, something ridiculous like that. And, and then in the second half, obviously there was some give, uh, but, but continued to dominate on the defensive side of the ball. So Steve, I guess off the top, what, what was one thing that that really, I don't want to say surprised because Michigan's a one seed making it to the elite eight. That's that happens all the time, but, but maybe in the way Michigan dominated Florida state, what was one thing that that surprised you in an impressive
1: way? Were they like 10 for 12 at one point in the second half from the floor? I mean, it was like 11 for 13. It was this insane efficiency uh, assists on almost every basket. What I thought was, most impressive, maybe, or more most encouraging, I guess, going forward for them. I think that we've we've been talking about how how would Michigan adapt offensively without Isaiah Livers, and you could tell. I think when seeing how they performed yesterday, I, I think you're seeing that it's been a learning curve that they're starting to figure out. You know, you talk about yes. Brandon Johns, who not gonna pat myself on the back here. I've kind of been calling this for a long time. I feel like he was fully capable of, of some sort of breakout. Uh, now of course part of it's by necessity with livers being out, but he gives them a, almost a different dynamic than livers does uh, at that at that spot. you know more of another inside presence uh, rebounds ferociously, you know plays with a really high level of energy so, you know, his emergence, I'm not that surprised because, like I said, I've been saying it for a while. But I think that the change in personnel and, and lineups and rotations and stuff, I think it was going to be – we, you know, we said it was going to be a little bit of a process, and it feels like that they've really kind of figured that out. I mean, Florida State supposed to be one of the better defensive teams in the country, and and really, I mean, it, it did. It was uh, – well, it was what we – it was that clinic – that we had talked about at the end of last episode was was mm-hmm. this Michigan team capable of doing like what Pat like what they did to AM a couple of years ago or what they did to Florida a few years ago? Uh, they did. It was a different style. They weren't, you know, you didn't have somebody like Staskis going like eight for eight from three, or the team didn't hit like 16 three-pointers like they did against AM, but it was just a dominant, right, one-sided performance, uh, mostly from beginning to end. I mean, Florida State looked out of sorts from the get go. And really, to be honest, Michigan offensively in the first half missed a lot of open looks. Uh, it was definitely a game, even though I think they were up by 11 at halftime, definitely felt like they could have been up by 16, 17 points. And uh, even then Florida state comes out, shoots the ball pretty well to begin the second half, Michigan actually increased their lead uh, after Florida state hit, I think three or four threes uh, in the first half of the second half. So yeah, just efficient, efficient, smart basketball and it's clear it was it, it's clear that the coaching is a thing. This isn't just that mm-hmm. Michigan has better players on the floor They're the, the game plan was ex, it was not just a good game plan, but the players executed it really really well. yeah I, I agree coaching
0: was a a huge part of yesterday's game. I, I thought that was maybe as evident as, as it has been. So far this postseason, I, I thought that, you know, everything that I had kind of going up into the game, thought, okay, Florida State's gonna try this. It seemed like Michigan had done their homework, especially on defense. Uh, on offense, certainly, I mean, part Florida State's a good defensive team, but I thought it was really telling how uh, assertive Michigan was in the post because that's that's somewhere that, I mean, I don't think Michigan ended up being overly efficient in on rim. You know, and dunks and layups, but but that's something Florida State's really good at stopping. You saw early on; I think they had three blocks in the first like five or six minutes. So so there were some adjustments made, but the second half, I think the the first fourteen shots Michigan made were at in the paint, and I, I and I, if I'm not mistaken, they made twelve of or they made twelve of their first fourteen, and they made fourteen shots in the paint before they even attempted. Uh, outside of the paint. So I thought it was really telling clearly they had a, they had a plan, you know, they, they said, okay, early on, you know, there were some, some lapses or mistakes or whatever, but then once they knew how Florida state was defending ball screens, once they understood kind of the rotations of Florida state, clearly they found a hole uh, kind of almost on the baseline on that, on that left side. And so, you saw a lot of shots, a lot of passes were coming from that particular spot. So, I mean, those are like little things probably makes uh, probably a little bit better to have a visual for that kind of discussion. But yeah, I thought the coaching was really good. And then I agree with you on Johns. I he's, he's been good all along. He had eight double digit scoring games last season. I mean, he dropped 20 on a NCAA tournament team. You know, it's not like he's, I don't love the narrative that he was like figuring out how to play basketball. I mean, he was a top 100 recruit. You know, he's always, he's six, eight 225 25 um, He just had Isaiah livers in front of him and you're not taking Isaiah livers off the court very much these days. And so uh, I don't think he necessarily like discovered how to, how to be this, but I think he yesterday's game was the first time all season that I felt he was, he was a real asset. He wasn't just, you know, getting points because someone's got to score points. They, they score a lot of points in basketball. I mean, he was, he was making plays. He was making a difference. And then I think the quietly, the biggest thing he did, and this is something I mentioned in my preview content that I thought Brandon Johns would be a slightly better matchup against this Florida State team than Isaiah Livers actually would have been, is John's ability to draw fouls he had Raquan Gray in foul trouble and Gray only played three minutes on the court in the first half. And Gray, for those that don't know, is Florida state's leading scorer. And so for, I mean, you know, think about Michigan, if Michigan's leading scorer only played three minutes in the first half, you'd be a little surprised if, if Michigan entered that halftime with a lead. And so I think that really hurt them. Um, you know, I think, I think Michigan kind of, showed that it would have won no matter how many minutes Gray played, but little things like that make a big difference. And then I thought his chemistry with Franz Wagner was, was really, I mean, that's, that's maybe where those five days between LSU or, or five days of practice, I should say, between the LSU game and the Florida state game. That's where that stuff can develop because I agree with you. I think, I think against Ohio state, I, I think they were a little blindsided. I, I don't think they had, I don't think they had been able to really piece together how they wanted to play with Johns because he isn't just Isaiah livers 2.0. He's a totally different kind of player and, and, and it can work. You saw his dunks, his post play, um, you know, he's, he's maybe a little bit more of a traditional power forward. He's not a stretch for as much. He can shoot the three and he can spread the floor, but I think his game's a little bit more physical, a little bit more of that um, five small ball five versus you know, old school four. He's kind of in that in that blend, and so I think they figured it out. I think that that has to be the the part that is most encouraging looking ahead toward the rest of the postseason. Is that it seems like it seems like Michigan knows how best to use Brandon Johns at the four at this point. As far as uh, surprise, I, I think I I mean, hard not to look right at that defense. I mean, they've had a good defense all season, but but you know, someone like Florida State. Uh, they've got really big guards. Michigan doesn't usually force a lot of turnovers, isn't usually in a team's face. Um, they're more of a be in the right position and contest a lot of shots, kind of defense. And so I think I think just how well Michigan defended Florida State, uh, that that has to be the most impressive. That's kind of the story of the game for me was seeing, you know, the level of which, Michigan at all five positions was able to defend Florida state made things a little bit easy. I mean, they missed some bunnies. They, I think they had six, I, ca- I counted six non forced turnovers in the first half, meaning Michigan didn't get a steal. Florida state literally threw it out of bounds, but, but at the same time, uh, you know, what, 22 points at halftime. I mean, that's just, <laughs> that's, that's a lot of Michigan as well. So, um, yeah, pretty impressive across the board. Another one I would throw out there is Franz Wagner. I think, I think showed against a, in a pretty good matchup against Scotty Barnes. I think Franz showed, showed his ceiling a little bit, maybe not. He, I don't think he hit his ceiling, but I think he showed like, Hey, <laughs> you know, when I, when I'm on, I'm really on. I mean, he did, he did everything for Michigan and it kind of looked like one of those types of players that is the best player on a final four team. Um, So I guess my takeaway, Stephen, I'm curious, your thoughts was after the first weekend, I was kind of a seven out of 10 on Michigan making the final four. I, you know, I I didn't read into the Texas uh, Southern game, but you know, the LSU game was kind of like, huh? Well, yeah, I think Michigan, they, they look a little deflated from what, they were throughout most much, much, much of the season. You know, they lost three of five to close the, the regular season Big Ten tournament, and then obviously losing your leading scorer. And then against LSU, it was it was an up and down game. They still won and won impressively, but I wasn't sitting there thinking, yeah, this Michigan team's going to the final four. Now I am sitting here and thinking, yeah, I think this Michigan team's going to the final four. So to me, I think Michigan kind of re-entered the final four national title talk. Steve, I, maybe you had a different read on Michigan's opening weekend or how they had looked lately, but, but really with, with Franz play with, um, with the way shondi Brown's contributing off the bench with the way Brandon Johns, you know, kind of how, how, uh, how much of an asset he looked. And then obviously with the, the players that they've had before, Hunter Dickinson, Mike Smith, Brooks, uh, how much did yesterday's game change your view on Michigan's one Final Four opportunity, and then two, their opportunity to win the whole thing?
1: Well, obviously, feel better about the Final Four uh, a lot because I think UCLA is a more favorable matchup than Alabama may have been for them. Mm-hmm. Right, I think. Michigan caught a little bit of a break there. Alabama, I think, shot less than 50% from the free throw line in yesterday's game. Great game, by the way, between those uh, between UCLA and Alabama. It was probably the best game of the tournament so far. Uh, national championship-wise, I think that's the bigger takeaway. Now, it's no guarantee they're going to win tomorrow, right? I mean, I'm going to pick them to win, but UCLA is also playing over their heads, and I think that's something that teams can carry and they have carried it this far. And, you know, I think there's reason to believe they could keep it carrying it, uh, you know, with another good performance tomorrow. But I think the bigger thing is, yeah, I mean, it clearly looks like Michigan is right there with Gonzaga and Baylor, as far as at least how impressive they've looked in this tournament. Cause a lot of people, you know, this was, a, it's, it's, I don't know why, uh, but a lot of people were picking LSU to beat Michigan. a lot of people were picking Florida state to beat Michigan and Michigan beat both of those teams at their game which goes yeah. back to something that we've been talking about all year and how many different ways that Michigan has won basketball games this year. They've pretty much its – it's been fascinating uh, the amount of ways that they can attack on both ends of the floor. And now to do it with one, without one of your best players and still kind of win in a fashion that, yeah, like beating teams at, at the way they like to play the game is – it's impressive and it's something that it, – that's something that can, you can bring uh, any night. And I think their defense continues to be uh, outstanding. You know, I know LSU scored a lot of points, but to their credit, they hit a lot of difficult shots in that game, which is I know that's something that they're kind of known for, but didn't think Michigan's performance defensively was uh, subpar in that game. Yeah. Right? Uh, but yesterday was a clinic on both ends, and there's no reason. You know, I feel like UCLA is similar. It's like I think Michigan is a bad matchup for UCLA, at least on paper. And so no reason to think, you know, I still think that it's going to be the same thing for Michigan. Uh, But the one really encouraging thing about yesterday also, they didn't have to rely on the perimeter. perimeter, Yes. Right. And so like, because that's what we've been saying. And I know that goes for a lot of teams, but Livers was Michigan's best three point shooter in the regular season. I don't know if he ended that way statistically percentage wise, but I, I think he's just their best Three point shooter, right? Uh, I think our fear was they come out and if they lay an egg from the perimeter, that they could go out fast because they no longer have Isaiah Livers, and that puts more pressure on guys like Brooks and Brown and Smith to have to hit. You know, you look at how they did it yesterday. Well, they had like, like I said, they were like eleven for thirteen at one point in the second half, and none of them were three pointers. Yeah. Yeah. Right. And this is against a Florida state team that I believe led the nation in blocks. Uh, they were, they no, were they were 10. They were, okay. Yeah. But they are close and they're, they're, they're known. Their calling card is their length across the board. Yep. So to win that way, I think is super encouraging to not have to rely on a hot shooting night to beat a really good defensive team and a defensive team. Like we said, they on paper defensively may, it may have looked like a mismatch for Michigan. Uh, But it did not play out that way at all. And so going forward, like I said, I don't know if you could ask for much more than what they did yesterday, not just in the fact they won and that they were elite defensively, but that, yeah, they did not have – this was not a, uh, you know, a a 10, 11, three-pointers type game where they just shot the lights out. I mean, this was easy basket after easy basket against one of the better teams defensively that they're going to see the rest of the way.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I, I agree. I think the, especially in the second half, that, that run that they went on, was it like a 15 to five run or something? Florida state made it close and then Michigan pulled away and it was like all stuff in the paint. And it was like, I mean, I think, I think people might've overhyped Florida state's side. I mean, they, they are legitimately the tallest team in the country, but I think, I think people might've acted like it was there. It was like, they were all six, 11 you know i mean it's not quite like that but it it was gonna it was a challenge and i think you know you mentioned they were easy i would i would say they they looked easy because michigan made really smart cuts and passes and plays i mean they had some stuff in transition florida state not a good team in terms of hanging on to the ball um you know obviously they were in foul trouble the whole game which is something michigan i think leaned into i i think that's not usually their style of offense, but, but getting to the free throw line, I think they had, what, eight free throws in the first half and, and everything. So Michigan earned it, but yeah, I agree. I think it was a really impressive, um, maybe adjustments or, or just a really impressive offensive game plan against a, against a good defensive team. We're going to hit a quick break on the other side. We'll talk about the UCLA matchup and and take a quick peek at who might be waiting in the final four. This is the Wolverine 24 seven podcast.
2: Get IXL now, and listeners can get an exclusive 20% off IXL membership when they sign up today at IXL.com audio. Visit IXL.com audio to get the most effective learning program out there at the best price. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey.
0: All right, and we're back. Thanks for waiting. So UCLA, you, you kind of touched on it a little bit there, Steve, uh, one of the bigger surprises in the NCAA tournament, they they ended their season with four straight losses and actually a five and seven record down the stretch. They started the year twelve and two, um, but but yeah, ended the season with four straight losses. They were in the play in game against Michigan State. They trailed that game most of the game, came back, won in overtime, and then they start to go on a run. They beat BYU, who was. A, a six seed, I believe, maybe a five. Um, but yeah, they beat them by double digits. They beat Abilene Christian. And I think even UCLA would admit that was a favorable matchup to, to kind of avoid Texas. You know, Abilene Christian caught Texas napping uh, or maybe looking ahead. And and so they got to play a low-ranked team in the second round. But then they beat Alabama. And, and it was a game that, UCLA was winning by a lot and then Alabama came back, but then UCLA ended up securing a double digit win in overtime. You don't, you don't see that too often. Um, plenty of talent on UCLA's roster. I mean, they, they're, they're a little shorthanded. Chris Smith, he was kind of there. Isaiah liver senior point forward, uh, you know, leading not, maybe not the official leading score, but maybe their most consistent score. Uh, he's been out since, December with a torn UCL, UCL, and then Jalen Hill, uh, top 100 recruit freshman. Maybe maybe the comparison there is Isaiah Todd, 610 240 pounds, left if I'm not mistaken for the G League. So midway, fourteen games into the season, Um, but still lots of talent. I believe even with those two gone, they still have six top 100 recruits. A lot of guys that you know were were pretty well-known recruits as well, Johnny Jizang, uh Tiger Campbell. And so plenty of talent, started the season really well, kind of has had a couple low moments. They lost three out of four in late January, early February. Then they lost four straight in late February, early March. But Steve, I'm, I'm sure you've been able to, to catch a couple of these UCLA games. What's... Um, what, what stands out to you about them? I, I, I think this, I'm, I'm with you. I think this is a more favorable matchup for Michigan, not just because of the seed, but also because of how they play, but what stands out about it to you? And, and clearly they were underseeded at 11, but like what caliber team do you think this is the way that they're playing right now?
1: Well, like I said, they seem to be kind of playing, over their heads, but I don't mean it sounds bad or like that. They've been lucky. Uh, They really haven't been lucky. They were in control of a decent portion. It did. Alabama did struggle from the free throw line. Right. I mean, there's no doubt about it. And that may have been really the biggest reason that the outcome was what it was, but UCLA was ahead. The majority of the second half of that game and by a comfortable margin, I think Bama made a nice run late uh, to tie it up, but Mm -hmm. right. And then had to hit a buzzer beater just to get it to overtime. Um, so I, I actually thought UCLA's resolve was most impressive yesterday. In that you, you you get a buzzer beater to tie a game can be kind of a deflating deal for you.
2: Leading um, scorer
1: fouled out with like five minutes to go, didn't he? J- yeah, yep, Juzang. Juzang, yeah, yep. So and he was five for eighteen. Um, they really like it was just a it was a weird game. I don't know if many listeners probably watched it. I watched uh, pretty much the whole game. Um, was it Jaquez? Is playing, like, I think he averaged. I was looking him up because I was like, man, I haven't really heard much about this guy. Uh, Jaime Yaquez, I think, is his name, Jr. He averaged somewhere between, I think, nine and 10 points a game this year, but is averaging somewhere around like 16 or 17 in the tournament. Um, he's really kind of found it. I think Tiger Campbell was a former big time recruit, runs the show at point guard for them. Good player, makes smart decisions, you know, kind of a good guy to lead. And then Riley was really good down low yesterday as well, late had a few blocks. Um, they were pretty well, that's the thing. So they had six guys in double figures yesterday. Uh, it's been sort of a pick your poison with them with the whack or uh Juzang and Jaquez are kind of the two guys that have been their best players, but stylistically, like I said, I just, I watched it and I'm like, they don't look like they have a guy that can match. They're another one of those teams that doesn't look like they have somebody that can match up with Dickinson. And, where that where that's huge not just that we you know think that dickinson can score the basketball but we see how important he is just for how their offense can function as a whole Uh, they should have no problem getting him the entry pass and Mm -hmm. and allowing it to open everything else up so he's either going to have some nice opportunities to score or they're going to be guys open on the perimeter right so also i think wagner is a good matchup defensively against whoever and I'm not sure which of the two guys that he'll match up with. Uh Jaquez maybe seems like the better matchup. It's weird as I've watched almost every I've watched I didn't watch uh, the Abilene Christian game, but I did watch Michigan State, BYU. Uh Juzang like seems to be their best player, but I hardly ever see him. It's always Jaquez that's doing everything when I've seen whatever maybe I'm changing the channel or whatever. But uh, you know, I think Michigan matches up with them pretty well on paper. Uh just be a matter of them slowing them down on the perimeter not letting them get hot because down low I feel like Michigan should have a huge advantage in this one yes. there's, there's hard, yes. it's hard it's hard to imagine they won't and even that was with Riley played really well yesterday uh he's going to have his hands full tomorrow no doubt about it
0: yeah i think um i think this is a favorable matchup mainly for the for the reason of the post you know Riley uh 6'9 255 i mean he's not nothing down there but but you know he's four inches shorter than Hunter Dickinson. He isn't especially elite at drawing fouls. I mean, maybe maybe he leans into that style of play uh, against Dickinson to maybe try to get Dickinson on the bench. But you know he's not a he's not a floor stretcher. He does not have a three this season. Um, still, still, I think this is a team. I mean, you know, I'm sure anyone who wants to hear about why the PAC 12 is under can go listen to national pundits. Cause that's, that's all they're talking about. But, but for the quick summary, uh, the PAC 12, I mean, they didn't even know if they were going to play basketball in November, December. And so then they, they played, they put together some non-conference schedules, but um, uh, one, I think the teams might've been underprepared for those games. And two, a lot of, a lot of the non-conference games, were either canceled or they were resigned to playing who was in their area, which of course, I mean, there's not a lot of high major teams out West. A lot of it is, is in the East. I mean, Michigan, you know, could have theoretically played North Carolina state and that wouldn't have been necessarily a cross country flight or anything. And so, yeah, there were a lot of high major non-conference opportunities either got canceled or teams weren't fully prepared for. And, and so suddenly, you know those conference rankings and the net rankings and everything—they they get all thrown out of whack because the Pac-12 doesn't have a lot of big uh, interconference wins, and so lots of Pac-12 teams were underseeded. I, I think USC was was maybe the big one. Hard to <clears throat> watching them, hard to believe they were a six seed, right? And then um, you know I'd say I'd say Oregon maybe a little underseeded, and UCLA do not look like an eleven seed to me. I mean they look closer to that six seven line that that happens to be playing well can i say talent can i say
1: that and you can i called usc a while ago right can we can i plug myself there yeah okay that's fine i just wanted to say that been calling that one for a little bit
0: yeah yeah um and they and they're they're making you look smart steve i mean they look they they don't look, look just good they look like really really good and so, and Mobley looks like someone who could who could give Gonzaga a lot of problems. Really excited to watch that game um, before. Apparently, for some reason, before Michigan plays UCLA. Uh, regardless, um, yeah, it's going to be. So as far as UCLA, I think, I mean, they're athletic enough, but they aren't. They aren't like a weird stylistic matchup that I think Alabama would have been. Alabama plays crazy fast. Uh, you know, LSU style, I would say lots of, lots of ISO ball, lots of guards who can shoot or, and will shoot uh, UCLA. It's, it's a little fascinating because, um, you know, they're not afraid of the mid range shots. I, I think they, they attempt what 39.3% of their shots from mid range. That's pretty high, but they make 41.9% of them, which is extremely high. I mean, that ranks among the top 20 in the country, So Michigan has had a lot of success this season forcing teams to take mid range shots that they don't want to take. So what happens when UCLA actually embraces those shots? And so, so there's, there's a couple little things, but I feel like Michigan, well, maybe not Michigan. I feel like Michigan fans can walk into this game and feel pretty confident. I mean, this is, this is Michigan's final four trip. I, I guess maybe it's not the right way to put it, but it's their final four trip to lose. I mean, offensively Michigan should be able to score. Mike Smith is going up against another undersized speedy point guard. It's probably actually a good matchup for him. We mentioned uh, the post game, you know, and then the way Brandon Johns is playing, he might be a problem too, because UCLA, they kind of, they kind of do a three wing format. I mean, they don't, they don't, they're, they're guys at the four aren't like big bruising types. And so, Johnson's going to have to bring it on the defensive side of things because UCLA will will shoot a lot of threes, and they're shooting really well from three in the NCAA tournament. But same time, I, I think Michigan's going to be able to actually score a lot in this game. And I don't think UCLA has any sort of stylistic tendency that, that at least raises any red flags in my mind. So I don't think we're going to do a hard prediction because this is literally the morning after. The Sweet 16 game, but but I, I kind of feel like this is this is a big opportunity for Michigan, and and you know they played the highest seeded opponent they could play so far. Uh, I I think this is kind of a gift. I mean, obviously UCLA beat Alabama, but I felt like Alabama had a little had a couple things that they could do that I was I was very unsure if Michigan would be able to handle them, and so yeah, I think this is a optimal matchup in the, in the elite eight. I mean, this is, it's, it's going to be really fun too. I mean, two big brands, two teams that have faced off in the NCAA tournament a lot before. So Steve, I guess any, any additional thoughts on, on how you think the game will go? Yeah, no,
1: no hard prediction. Like score wise, I, I would expect, you know, I do expect Michigan to win. Uh, you know, they did what they did yesterday. Didn't really get much from Eli Brooks, even um, and that's kind of been the thing. That's where I think Michigan has become dangerous again, you know, cause John stepped up offensively. chandy has been chandy which we'll see if he keeps the hot street going. You're right. I mean, that's kind of been the story with him all year. He can be either hot or cold. Um, but overall, yeah, I just think Dickinson, this is a game that he'll be, he should be able to shine. I don't even think UCLA has like the ability to, Get him in foul trouble early, even, and try to make him a non-factor. You they know, would have I,
0: to really, really
1: try. Right, you and know like, what I mean? And, and yeah. it, it, it might be to their detriment to even like try, try like that. So, yep. you know, I, I suspect this this should be a game. Should be a game where Dickinson, again, not necessarily means he's going to score the basketball, but they should be able to, you know, the crux of their offense, at least in the half court sets, is is the post entry and working off of that. If they're not running horns or whatever at the top it's the post entry opens everything up let dickinson dictate what michigan's going to do next and he should be able to at least get to that point uh consistently tomorrow night and you know like i said i expect michigan should have a lot of open shots tomorrow if they hit them UCLA could be in for a long day if they struggle from the perimeter that's what'll keep UCLA in it that's my suspicion uh just based on uh, just paper obviously that's all we get It's all we got at this point Right, right.
0: Yeah, I mean, every game is very different. Makes the March predictions. I mean, it's very, you know, every team that wins goes and looks for everyone that picked against them <laughs> and says like, ha-ha, you picked the wrong team, you know, that whole thing. But um, I guess the one thing that, that concern you know, other than UCLA's athleticism and the fact that they're playing with a lot of confidence is, uh, is maybe UCLA's rebounding. I mean, they're, they're pretty good on both ends of the glass, Florida state, you know, everyone was really surprised at their defensive rebounding, you know, because of their height. But if you actually look at how they've done as a defensive rebounding team all season, they were not good. I mean, they were outside the top 300 in defensive rebounding rate. And so, um, UCLA doesn't have anything like that. They're top 100, both offensive and defensive rebounding. So it'll be, I mean, they've got, they've got some willing rebounders, I guess, how I would put it. You know, I don't know if they'll out rebound Michigan, but I think Michigan benefited, uh, I guess I could probably pull up the actual box score, but I think they benefited from the, you know, some maybe surprisingly good offensive rebounding stats. Yeah, it looks like they had 17 second chance points. Uh, they won by 18, so maybe it's not the, the hugest thing in the world. But um, th- I think Michigan's ability to take care of the boards, I think they've out-rebounded all but like two or three games this entire season. They lost those two games, by the way. So that's that's something to keep an eye on. Steve, just just having a little fun here, looking ahead to the potential Final Four matchups. Since we're both predicting Michigan to win, I Gonzaga is. I, I ever since I saw them kind of beating up on on Virginia and West Virginia, and obviously teams not just from Virginia, but you know Iowa as well. You know, getting getting some high major wins early on in the season, I, they really looked like a like maybe the front runner for the national championship. Uh, to me, they're they're in my bracket as the national champions. They've looked the part so far. That, I mean, the way they took care of Creighton, um, you know, they're kind of like Michigan, where they as a one seed they haven't necessarily had to face like a true Final Four contender just yet. But Gonzaga versus USC, you were saying before the show. You've got, a, you've got a bit of a feeling that USC is going to end up winning. If you're looking from Michigan's perspective, which of those teams is more uh, – should Michigan fans be more worried about facing in the
1: Final Four? I would say Gonzaga. Even though the thing about Gonzaga, though, is um, – yeah, I'm going with SC I'm in the upset just because I've – just to make myself even more right – that's literally like the only reason, because uh, Gonzaga is really good. Watched him yesterday. Um, you know, I had Creighton out in the first round, so I try. I was like trying not to like act like that wasn't impressive by the Zags, but no. I mean, like right. you, you said, like you said before the show, three first round picks on yes. that roster, right? I mean, they're 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 strong. The one thing about them, they haven't been really punched in the mouth in a while. Mm-hmm. And in a tournament setting, you know, uh, loser goes home. I'll be interested if it's SC or whoever they face in the final four. Um, if somebody can kind of test that will a little bit, you know, how they'll react. Uh, because again, there's, there's no denying their, their conference schedules and, and it's not their, pro, it's not their fault. And they did great job of, of scheduling a strong non-conference schedule. They did. Yeah. But, but it's been a long time since they've played a game that was in doubt, at least late, right? So interested to see in any given game, if, the, if they get to that situation, which who knows, they are. They're talented enough that may not happen the rest of the tournament. Uh, <laughs> but if it does get to that point, be interested to see how they react. So I am picking SC in the upset. Again, I, I could very easily be wrong. I mean, they, both the, both of those teams have looked excellent. Let I mean, you talk about a team that hasn't been challenged, neither has SC. Uh you know, those you could argue they've had the two most impressive runs so far. Yes, I think right? you
0: could say that, yeah. Uh,
1: Baylor probably up there as well. Uh, Baylor's looked really good too. But, uh, you know, you could argue SC and Gonzaga, best two teams so far in the tournament, or have played the best basketball. So, you know, but I would rather, if you're Michigan, I think they match up better with SC. Uh, Mobley and Dickinson would be a lot of fun after the national television high school game last year uh, to see them on the big stage would be really cool. I've said before, I think Mobley would look great in a Pistons uniform <laughs> next year. I do though. I think, you know, I don't watch the NBA as much, but it feels like he's a guy the Pistons could, could use. And, um, but then you have Johns, I think would match up with Isaiah Mobley pretty well too, you know, and the Mobleys have pretty much been the guys running the show for them. So I think it would be an interesting matchup, but better than Gonzaga, who is consistent from the outside um, maybe even more than consistent from the outside and can just beat you in a variety of ways. I think they give Michigan more matchup problems defensively than USC does.
0: Yeah. I think Gonzaga would be the team that Michigan would really miss Isaiah livers for. I don't know if it would still be close. I mean, Gonzaga to their credit. I mean, I, I mentioned their other non-conference wins. They also beat Kansas by double digits in the season opener. So, I mean, you know, they, they, beat, be, they beat
1: Iowa pretty bad too, didn't they?
0: Yeah. They beat Iowa, Kansas and Virginia. Uh, by an average of more than fourteen points, so I mean you're talking about pretty good teams from the th- you know three best conferences. Well, before we knew what the Pac-12 was, but three best conferences in the country, uh, and just kind of kind of beating them with ease. So yeah, I'm really I'm really looking forward to the matchup. But I I think Gonzaga has you know the the fact that they have three guys who if they were on any other team in the country would be like their best player and a potential all American. I mean, I think, I think the chips fell in their favor this year. They've, they've never won a title. Um, Yeah. I know a lot of people are kind of thinking, well, no way they'll go undefeated. They're pretty darn close now. (laughs) And so, you know, maybe, maybe the pressure mounts a little bit, maybe that gives Michigan or UCLA, I suppose, a little bit of an edge, but they they just look like a team that, you know, you mentioned they haven't been punched in the mouth. They look like a team that's too tall and too good at punching to get punched in the mouth themselves. Yeah. <laughs> Thinking about like a, you know, like a heavyweight champion or like a Drago type and Rocky Four. Obviously, Rocky got to him, but that's, that's a movie. I mean, sometimes just the, the better fighter wins. And so, yeah, they, that's to their credit. I mean, the fact that Joel Ayayi is like they're, and Andrew Nemhard, who was a, um, a pretty darn good player at Florida I mean he's like their fifth best player yeah, this is a this is a really good team some recruiting some development some transfers I guess similar to Michigan but I think I think Gonzaga had a little bit more me- momentum going into this season and so preseason number one still number one still haven't lost have they played a game that wasn't at least double digits I'm sure they have but uh you know just really seems like they're able to, to thump everybody. To me, I think they're the, I I could see a scenario where UCLA upsets them if, if everything falls in one direction or another, but I I think they're the tougher matchup for Michigan. Yeah. So, so I guess closing thoughts on Michigan's run so far kind of sounds weird because we'll probably be doing a podcast in two days about, you know, whether they win or lose, but um I, I thought it was really impressive I guess it's just the only thing the the aired out segment of our podcast that we do sometimes i I really do think Michigan had a had a moment yesterday where I think it, it maybe maybe occurred in practice but it showed in the games where I think I think they were finally able to stop being great team without one of its without its best player I think they were able to just become great team again and that's not a slighted Isaiah livers, but, but I think the way Franz played and, and the way he closed that LSU game, by the way, nine points in the final five minutes, um, you know, the way, the way he was able to play yesterday, I think the way Hunter Dickinson was able to play, I think the way Mike Smith, I mean, he knew he was that wasn't going to be a great game for him. And I think Eli Brooks felt the same. I mean, those are just, that's just tough matchups, <laughs> you know, Mike Smith versus MJ Walker, um, you know, Mike Smith knew he wasn't going to be going off for 20 points in that game. And so I think I think the way that they all clicked and the way that they all played it it, it, it reminded me of the January Michigan team. You know, the, the team that just came into every game looking insanely prepared, executing at a uh, frighteningly efficient level. And and just understanding and, and taking turns having their moments in the game. You know, different players had little stretches where they scored, you know, five or six straight points or or, or you made a couple baskets in a row. And so I think to me, my lasting thought from that game is I think Michigan. Michigan recaptured the title contending capabilities that it showed in January, because even even when they were getting some really impressive wins in February, uh, they didn't look as infallible. I mean, that that Michigan team in January just looked. Like the way they defended, uh, the way they looked prepared against everybody, really, really stood out to me. And so, um, we'll see. NCAA tournament has a funny way of making great teams look really bad on the most important in the most important moments. But yeah, I think, I think to me, I think they're right up there with Gonzaga and Baylor as as far as national title contenders. Any final thoughts from you, Steve?
1: Coaching is hitting its stride. Uh, the right players whose confidence needs to be high right now, they're high. Mm-hmm. Johns, chandy at least on the offensive end, he's always confident on the defensive end. But, um, you know, with chandy as I mentioned after the LSU game, he did it a couple times again yesterday. He's finding more confidence in getting into the lane. I think it's just – I think it's opening up everything else for him too. Uh, he he looks like a guy now could get 15 if they needed him to get 15. Right. And that, that's something that earlier in the season, that would be, he'd have to hit th- four threes maybe <laughs> to get to 15, which he did. Right, He did a few times. Right. But I think now he's like all of a sudden, and this may be because of livers, you know, and, and him understanding he needed to Fair. step up, yeah. but he does just look more confident driving the lane and getting to the basket. I mean, he even gave Austin Davis like, I was like his first assist of the year, pretty much. I don't know if he's had an assist all year, <laughs> yeah, but it was a great play, a great pass, great play. And let's give credit to Davis too, real quick, by the way, like he's played efficiently, especially on the offensive end. He looked, he's looked good. Uh, he's given them what they need, which is a, a breather for Dickinson, but also still enough of a post threat to get him a few baskets. So, you know, credit to him as well for embrace kind of going back to the whole thing we've talked about all year, embracing the role And excelling in that role. And I think Austin Davis is another guy that, yeah, you don't, I don't think you want Davis playing 20 minutes a game, Mm -hmm. but, but the tech, if he can give you 10, 12 quality minutes, which I think he did yesterday and tomorrow could be another game. I think he's capable of doing that again. You know, that's huge. Keeps Dickinson out of foul trouble and it keeps him fresh too. And I, and I know there's only two game sets and they shouldn't tired uh, fatigue. Shouldn't be a factor necessarily, but uh, more rest doesn't hurt. Right. So, so that's, yeah, that's my thing. I mean, it, it should be, you know, Michigan's it's Michigan to me, it's Michigan's game to lose tomorrow. Um, I think they're the better team. I think UCLA has made a nice run. And also it is nice to see UCLA back in some kind of big spot in college basketball. I think they're one of those programs. I think college basketball is better when UCLA is, is one of the programs that's kind of making a run or or doing something, you know, I think a Michigan UCLA matchup is cool. It's got a classic feel to it. So it'll, it'll be fun in that regard tomorrow also, but I do think it's Michigan's game to lose. I mean, I think they, things are rolling in the right direction again. I think they've kind of caught their footing now without livers. I think they've kind of figured things out and they, they know what direction they need to go.
0: All right. On that note, that will do it for us for now. Obviously they play in two days, so, or a day. So we'll have a reaction podcast to that one as well. And if they win, well, they'll keep hearing from us. <laughs> anyway, uh, for Steve Lorenz, I'm Zach Shaw. This has been the Wolverine 24 seven podcast. If you liked this podcast or any of our podcasts, we have more basketball ones, a uh, football one recruiting one. Uh, be sure to throw us a follow rating, share it with your friends, help it grow. Uh, really enjoy doing it. Really love hearing the positive feedback about it, but hope you had fun. Hope you learned something. We'll see you next time.